to uh, another edition of the extended version of Boilers Extra podcast. Mike Garman sitting in the captain's chair right now, uh, along with uh, Nathan Baird, who's sitting at the first mate's co captain's chair. I'm Gilligan, and you're the skipper, is what you're saying. I have the, I have the stomach as the skipper. <laughs> I guess that would, I guess and I'm that as would dorky as Gilligan. I think it works out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, of all the TV shows, I think that's the one I would want to be in. Yeah. Gilligan's Island. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Get some, get the ladies around, <laughs> the single ladies. Yeah. Um, I just don't know how they they got by without doing laundry for all that time. <laughs> I assume they can they can do laundry. They got all the water in the. Well, but it's not. No, it's ocean water. Yeah. Well, not on TV though. <laughs> it's clean ocean water on TV. You got like the Beatles just show up or whatever on that one right. episode. Right. Um, somehow the. Professor can make a radio out of a coconut or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it was a great show, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. I, I enjoyed watching it when it, it started as a black and white show. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in color, and then uh, they transitioned into color. Uh, I can't I don't know exactly what episode <laughs> that was, but it was one of those great shows. All right, now that we've killed that time. Well, no, I, I, even my generation, we grew up watching reruns of Gilligan's Island. I don't know if today's, the, the kids who are out there listening on a podcast today, they probably don't appreciate Gilligan's Island, but it was formative in my in my youth. Almost. I would tell you to go Google it right. and pull up a YouTube video. And I'd also recommend the, uh, although we're past that holiday, the WKRP Thanksgiving Day show with Les Nessman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that one still lives on. That yeah. that one that one they probably know about because every year multiple people will post that on Facebook. Right. Just that clip. That's the only. It's the. I don't know if any show has a greater ratio of like two minutes of their show being shown over and over and over again compared to nobody ever showing another clip from that show. It's all just the Thanksgiving show. All right. Well, we can be thankful we're not on TV since <laughs> we we both have faces for podcasts. We have faces for newspapers. <laughs> Unless they shrink our photo in the newspaper, which they do, but that's a discussion for uh, not for uh, maybe not even another day. <laughs> not even for another day. That's a private discussion that we'll right. have later. With our anyway, therapist, we're going to uh, get into uh, some uh, men's basketball talk. We'll discuss the football stuff a little bit later. But uh, Matt Painter's team. I mean, we we set up this stretch where they we're going to play five games against five really good opponents, two in the Big Ten. Uh, some of the, you know, all but all the all but one of those games on the road or away from home, and, and now they're they're getting to the end of that stretch. They're one and three. Uh, they probably need to win Saturday against Notre Dame to salvage, you know, salvage the the stretch a little bit, but also get some confidence going into the next part of the season. But they lost to Florida State. Which was a close game, a game they probably should have won. Uh, Michigan, no way, they were not even in it. Uh, they did they're able to beat Maryland uh, in a game that, when I was watching it, looked like Maryland was in control most of the way until the very end. I think both teams got a little sloppy, but I thought Purdue's defense at the end hung in there and helped them get the win, and then the the loss at, at Texas. So, what have you learned? from this team and this stretch? I know there's one game to go, but what, what are the key things that have uh, kind of stood out? Well, I thought it was a stretch that just because of the nature of teams they were playing, the caliber teams they were playing, I, I said they could play well 
every night or over the balance of that and still come out with a, a losing record or maybe maybe don't even win any of those games because the teams you're playing were all just really good teams and the fact that most of them were away from home um you know it, it this is a team that's six and four right now like you said one and three so far in this stretch and it's 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 one of those like glass half empty glass half full ways of, of how you look at it right now because on the one hand okay yeah they're six and four and but all four of those losses have come away from home against good teams you know texas wasn't ranked but had been ranked and has beaten other good teams they beat north carolina they've they can do good things on a basketball court um at the same time at some point to be at the level that Purdue wants to be at, to accomplish the things Purdue wants to accomplish, it has to finish off a win like this away from home. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And they have not shown yet that they can do that. Um, there is still just a lack of, of something. And it's not necessarily just one aspect of basketball throughout, I don't think. There have been some defensive letdowns. There have been some nights where the offense let them down. Um, but at the end, of, in, in all those cases, except the Michigan game, in, in the Virginia Tech game, Florida State game, and now the Texas game, the, um, the game was there to be won in the balance at the end of the game, and they couldn't finish it off, especially, obviously, the Florida State game. And then the Texas game, not, not that far off of that. Games that were right there to be won, and they, they couldn't finish it off. And at some point, that's a thing that this team's going to have to learn how to do. Um, the problem is this is the time of year you're supposed to be learning how to do that. And really Saturday is that last chance because then you play at home twice and then you go right into the Big Ten season. And this is not something that they can really still be plaguing them throughout Big Ten season just because all ten, well, nine of the, the nine road games that are left, um, there really isn't an easy one in there this year in the Big Ten. And it, it starts off really tough. They go at Michigan State, at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, all by mid-January to, to start the conference season. Those, uh, along with Michigan, might be the teams that people say are the four best teams in the Big Ten right now. Um, and so, I, I, you know, on one hand, this is a, a, an important stretch here. The rest of this month where they don't play quite as often, it gives them a lot more practice time. That's a luxury they won't have in January. But at the same time, there are some things that are only going to have to be learned through those sort of in-game situations away from home and – so far, they, they haven't shown that they've, they've learned how to do that yet. No, the, to me, the biggest issue is just closing out a game. I'm not sure you can practice that. I think you need to right. be in those situations, but how many how many more lumps do you need to take before that kicks in? And then you have to start to question whether it will kick in. Because it, 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 it becomes a confidence issue at that point. And are they just standing around waiting for Carson to win the game for them? Or are other people getting opportunities to do it? They're just not delivering, and therefore that might be a bit of an experience issue. Because other than Carson, you've got a bunch of guys. You know, maybe not Ryan Klein, but everybody else just—they're still learning. They're still being put in these in these different positions. So, you know, to me, I mean, it's like one of the, to me, it's one of those two things: are they just standing around waiting for Carson to okay go win the game for us, or? Our other guys getting opportunities, just just not stepping up, and that's that's more than just scoring a basket. That's making a defensive stop. That's um, you know doing something on the offensive end that uh, that leads to maybe a, a, a game winning or takes you from a three point lead to a five five point lead type mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah, you know, at what point does your 
trend become your identity? And I think that's that's the the juncture that this team is kind of at right now, just in terms of, of finding out what it is. And you know, in in each of those games, I mean, you can look at the way that they they didn't get stops down the stretch against Florida State, the way that they they didn't get stops down the stretch against Texas. I mean, that's that's ultimately where it starts to me. I understand w- what we're questioning from an offensive standpoint, but the game where they came out and won and and won in this stretch was the Maryland game where they did make those stretch. I mean, Maryland had one field goal in the last three and a half minutes, or no, none, none in the last three and a half minutes, and like one in the last seven minutes, something like that. I mean, Purdue's defense clearly stepped up and made and won that game for them. Um, it was a game where Carson Edwards wasn't really making baskets unless he was getting to the free throw line, and nobody else other than Aaron Wheeler was, was doing anything really special offensively that game, and and yet they that their defense carried them, and, and that's what's going to have to, I think, carry this team more often than not because – um, and it's not that they necessarily have to be an elite defense, but they definitely have to be an above-average defense, um, it's, which is something they're still striving for because this offense just is not going to be consistent enough. Um, I mean, we, we saw it Saturday. I mean, Carson Edwards can score 40 points, and this team can still lose. to And, and not to you know one of the best teams in the country, but to Texas, which is a decent team, or at least right now is, is a decent team. Um, that That's not a good sign for this team. And I know that there were some shots in that game that – normally would fall that maybe should have fallen you don't expect ryan klein to miss seven threes in a row um but at the same time this team's offensive approach even though they only turned the ball over six times still seems just so jump shot heavy um does not seem to be one that you know consistently is is getting the ball inside and letting the offense kind of work inside out like it's so accustomed to doing whether that's via the pass or whether that's via guys driving in there and kicking it out you've still got multiple guys on the floor especially in the starting lineup that at times seem very uncomfortable with the idea of taking shots that aren't just completely wide open um that are you know there are things that grady eifert and nojal eastern do on a basketball court that really help this team but you also can't deny that you can't get as much scoring out of those spots that you could a year ago with the guys who were playing those positions. That's not completely fair. They're different kinds of players, and, and those guys had to, you know, they graduated, they moved on. But it is a problem for this team right now that you just don't have offensive balance. You know, Matt Painter likes to talk about it in terms of approach and in terms of decision making and in terms of how they're running things. He's not wrong, I'm necessarily saying, but he doesn't want to admit that the other half of it is. From, from a talent standpoint, they, they are just missing some things and that, that has not yet been developed or that they're not taking advantage of if it is there. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it, is, it is an issue. They, they're gonna, I think right now as I look at this team, if they don't figure out a way to, to defend more consistently and to um, you know, stop the kind of dribble penetration that Texas and other teams were having this year, then it's going to it's going to make it really difficult for them to to win these games down the stretch and and, and at times as you saw against Michigan they're not even going to be in these games down right. the stretch. Couple couple observations for me. Number one is this team taking too many three pointers. That's that's that that would be the first thing on my mind. And you know and when are those shots coming? Are they coming early in the shot clock? They're coming late? Are they good shots? Are they bad shots? Not every, not every three point shot is created equal. Right. Um, but it just seems like they're shooting a lot of three-pointers. And I don't necessarily, you know, when you get past Klein and, uh, and Edwards, I don't see the makeup of this team as a bunch of long-range jump shot, jump, jump shot shooters. 
Yeah, I think this team is still taking too many early threes. I, I think this team has has shown, and again, it's it's not fair to compare completely to the, the personnel they just had a couple years ago, but that team thrived not because it was just coming down and had the greatest shooters in the world and were chucking it as soon as, you know, this wasn't a uh, an, an up and down kind of game where they were you know shooting in the first five seconds of the shot clock and you know bring it down in transition and, and throwing up threes. They could do that. They had guys who could shoot on the run. That was an occasional strength, but that's still a lower percentage shot than if you're running your offense and getting an open three. And that's what Purdue is still not doing consistently enough. Um, and and again, I think that some of that comes from just you know running your offense, and some of it comes from purposely getting the ball inside and establishing that. And I thought they did that. In or started to do that in both halves of the Texas game. You know, the first basket of that, of that game for Purdue, actually it was a three from Edwards. They, they sort of traded threes, but uh, Matt Harms gets an early dunk in that first half. He gets an early basket off the baseline in the second half, and then it's like they'll just go long stretches where there really aren't post looks um, from, from my observations of the game. Um, I think that's really still the... That's where I see that happening. I don't think it's necessarily that they shouldn't shoot a lot of threes, but I think they need to to, to work for those threes a little bit more. You've got to you're not really wearing defenses down, and you're not really working for your best shot. And and the other thing to remember is, you know, some of these guys are taking open threes and aren't falling, um, but there's also reason sometimes why those guys are open for three. I mean, teams are gonna teams are gonna let Matt Harms shoot those threes until he proves he can make them consistently. And if over the course of a year, if, if, if Matt Harms were to shoot, you know, in the low 30s from three, opponents are probably still going to take that because that's better than the percentage you would shoot if you were getting the ball at the basket. Um, and, um, you know, Grady Eifert, you'd probably say the same thing. I, I, and um, those guys are getting one or two just wide open threes a game. So maybe that at that low volume, maybe it's not hurting the offense. But I think collectively it's still indicative of a, of an offense that just isn't really running in sync right now. Well, it, it depends when those shots are, are, are being taken. And as uh, That's maybe, true. And, and Matt Harms doesn't take those shots early in a shot clock, typically. Right. But As uh, coaches will tell you, or astute observers at the game will tell you, there's a reason why you're open. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're not guarding you for a reason. Right, right. And I think players have to, you know, some of it is coaching, but the other part is awareness and players. If I'm if I'm Grady Eifert and I'm consistently open from the three-point range or three-point line, there's a reason why you're open. They don't believe you're going to hit. You're not a threat to that, to that team, and they're not going to guard you out there then you have to take it upon yourself to make sure the ball gets to where it needs to be. As you said, there's probably one or two times in a game where it's not a bad shot for him. But if he's shooting more than that, then I think that is, at some point, that becomes a bad shot for him. And you have to keep the ball moving and get get it into a better position. And by the way, the Maryland game, one of the reasons Purdue won that game, maybe the reason Purdue won the game, other than the way it defended down the stretch, was because Grady Eifer did step up and hit some of those open threes. Matt Harms did hit a, a big three. Um, you know, Aaron Wheeler came in and hit three threes. So the, the three of those guys had six threes. Um, I think as Mac, Mark Turgeon said after the game, if you had told me going in that they had six threes, I would have thought Purdue scored 90. And again, I think that still that's that statement is somewhat indicative of what's going on with, with this offense right now, which is, is, you know, those threes can sometimes be fool's gold if you're not getting them from from just running an efficient offense overall, top to bottom. Um, and again, 
that didn't happen on the road. That that happened in familiar environment, familiar setting. Um, that it's tougher to do that on the road typically, and that's still where Purdue has to prove itself at both ends of the court. I don't think also that they've really played um, in sync offensively some important stretches on the road, um, and that was something that we kind of expected maybe very early in the season. But now that you're a third of the way into the year, I think you have to kind of start transitioning into having some more of these problems figured out if to ultimately get where you want to get this season, which is, you know, to, to stay in the top, you know, I think coming into the year, they, they were still shooting for that top third of the Big Ten. I think staying in the top half of the Big Ten right now is is almost where you have to start looking because it's just so deep. Well, three-pointers, to me, it's a game-to-game thing. It, I, don't think yeah. it's, I don't think it's a sound strategy for, for basketball teams to, to always rely on the three-point shot because it doesn't go, you know, you may get two games back-to-back where you you shoot a high percentage but then it's going to go away you know as you mentioned a guy like Ryan Klein he missed seven well probably the next game he might hit seven but it's not going to hit seven after that when he had he had consistently been I think going into that game other than the maybe the Ball State game but all the other games this year he'd hit three or more like he had been really consistently part of the offense and then all of a sudden whatever reason just Maryland 0 for 6 and then started at 0 for 7 against Texas, so it was just one of those. Fun- Maybe it's just one of those funks that hits at the absolute worst time. Um, but again, that's that's one guy who's not even your primary scorer has a funk, and then what does that do for the whole offense? I mean, they're they're still working on three games in a row. It would be actually four games in a row that they'd be held under one point per possession for their average, if not for what Carson Edwards had done at Texas. That he alone really pushed them up to one point oh one five, I think. So still just barely above that. Um, it just it, it's. The, the potency of the offense has dropped, and I don't think that the, um, the reliability of the defense has risen up to, to make up for it yet. Right, and I think that's uh, probably what they need to do, and you mentioned it earlier. They Offensively, there's, I don't know when they'll get this whole thing figured out. They may not this year, but in the meantime, and you, you've talked about this and you've written about this, they, they really need to up their game defensively. They need to become a stronger defensive team. And they probably need to win games like they won the Maryland game. Uh, because right now I don't think they're in a position to to, to score. They're, they're not going to outscore somebody once that game gets into the 70s. And they're not going to do it once it gets in into the 80s unless, you know, Carson Edwards is pushing them there. Uh, so, I mean, what where does the improvement have to be defensively with this team? I really think it's just individual guys have to step up and, and, and defend better. I think that starts on the perimeter. Nojel Eastern's been pretty consistent. That's the guy now that they look at as who they can put on the opponent's best guy and, and help neutralize him. I thought he did a pretty good job against Anthony Cowan. He's done a good job against some other you know lead scorers for um, other teams this season. Uh, but neither he nor Edwards nor whoever was getting rotated on to um, – um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but the, the guy from Texas the other night who had the huge game, um, the, nobody was really slowing him down. Um, he really kind of took over the game as much as Edwards did at, at stretches in that second half the other night. Um, and and really, I, you know, I think pretty consistently you're not seeing the the kind of um, it, the kind of presence that, that they want on the perimeter yet defensively. Um, and, and then I think, you know, because then I think when people watch games and they see guys getting to the basket and scoring, 
over Matt Harms, over Evan Boudreaux, around them, Grady Eifert, whatever, because they're the guy at the basket, I think that's where they lay the blame. But I think if you were to go back in those plays earlier and seeing where the penetration is happening, I think you'd see the Purdue team that needs to do a better job of, of kind of walling off those guys a little bit. And at the same time, though, you're still relying on some really young guys. You know, when Nojal Eastern comes out, now you're putting in a true freshman in Eric Hunter who really is still learning how to defend at this level. That's not an easy transition. You're still putting out, um, you know, Sasha Stefanovic has, get, has been a real defensive spark at times for this team in some short stretches. Aaron Wheeler has made some defensive plays. Those guys are coming along. But I think just in total, this team just hasn't, again, they're not there yet. And now that's why I think maybe December is a big month for them to sort of figure some things out in practice. Maybe there there's some com- competitive things that can happen in practice that help straighten some of those things out. Um, you just get so much more time. But then because then once January starts, you're just on the road constantly or you've got one game after another and you don't really get that kind of um, that time to really, you know, hunker down and figure some of those things out. Well, I think when Painter's teams have been really, really strong defensively, and you know, last year you did have Haas in the middle, uh, you had a big presence there, but it's been perimeter defense is when they've been they've been really good. When you when you look at you know PJ Thompson last year and, and Dakota out there on the perimeter, they're they're keeping they're not letting uh, opponents get in the lane and get easier shots or get in there and then have options to to distribute the ball. So. If this, if this team is going to be a better team defensively, then I think it, it does start on the perimeter, and they've got to make those passes difficult. And, you know, I, I, I don't know you're around them more than I am, but, I mean, is this team truly bought in to where it has to be defensively? Matt Coleman, by the way, was the name of the Texas player I, I spaced on. I didn't even have to look that up. It just came back to me. So apologies if his family is listening, which I'm sure they're not. Um the question was, has his team bought in? I think, well, I thought that the Maryland game had been kind of a an eye-opener for them. And the same, the, the Maryland game, the Michigan game followed by the Maryland game, I thought was kind of an eye-opener for them. They saw what happened when they weren't locked in um, defensively against a, a tremendous team at Michigan and just kind of got blown out of the water. And then... Uh, against Maryland, I, I thought they saw what would happen if they followed a game plan, if they got out and defended um, according to principles, according to w- what had been expected of them that week. I mean, and then they, you know, defense won that game for them in, in a lot of ways. And I thought that was what was going to kind of be the template. But then they, you come out of a Texas game where they're still talking about, you know, defensive breakdowns and, and the lapses of letting a team penetrate, um, you know, the, the soft closeouts that they were getting on some some Texas shooters, I think they took for granted what some of the things they saw in the scouting report as far as Texas' shooting percentages. But as Carson Edwards also said after the game, you know they were getting wide open looks, and at this level, guys can hit wide open looks. Um, whoever it is, eventually, um, you know I think Texas was six of six of fifteen in the first half, but that was from five different guys. It wasn't just one one defensive assignment that was breaking down. It was all over that offense, Texas was taking advantage of what Purdue was giving it. So I really think it's just a matter, again, like I said, this team has to just make it harder on opponents. I don't think they have to go out and become Virginia. I don't think they have to go out and necessarily um, become um, what what Texas kind of likes, or, or, or a team like VCU used to be, where you would go out and just try to, you know, you're trying to turn them over. West Virginia, you're trying to, they don't have to go out and get 20 points a game off of turnovers. They just have to, to, set a presence better. 
Um, that was what they did against Maryland, especially in that second half. Their their defense was the presence of of the second half. They've got to find a way to replicate that. But most importantly, they have to find a way to replicate it on the road in a hostile environment, uh, which actually Texas wasn't even a hostile environment. It was kind of a bland environment. There was wasn't that many people there, and a lot of them were Purdue fans. So I don't you can't really um, you can't really fault some kind of a, um, a, a tough environment for that loss. Uh, they, they were flat for other reasons. And I've been to the big drum a couple times. It's, it's a sterile environment. It is a sterile environment. <laughs> uh, it was not that much of a different environment, frankly, for the men's game than it was for the women's game that preceded it. Um, and I'm not trying to... I, I actually enjoyed my time in Austin. It was a great city. I had some great meals. Um, and uh, walking around campus was, was kind of fun there. You get to see some, you know, Texas Stadium and all those things. And um, it has, it's an interesting, it's an older stadium. Um, but you're right, it's, it's, it's sterile is a good word for it. They don't really bring a crowd. I was really kind of surprised for a Sunday afternoon that they didn't have more people there. I guess there was a football game somewhere or maybe they were having a, you know, a viewing party for the for football games that had been played earlier that season or something I don't know but um, uh, and, and Matt Painter even talked about that last night on his radio show that like he was su- kind of shocked as to how how little fan support there was there but again that's that's part of going on the road you don't know what you're gonna get away from at Mac Arena you know you're gonna get 13,000 people there who will go lay down in traffic for you mm-hmm. and that's an easier way to win. It's just easier to play with that kind of support at your back. It's much. It, it, you, it, it's a cliche, but it does kind of become that sixth man that the other team has to. I've talked to players and coaches from other teams. They talk about it. It's hard to hear yourself. It's hard to communicate. It's hard to hear yourself think. It becomes a mental challenge, and it's you. You can't rely on that being there the other half of your season. You can't rely on that being there when you go to the United Center and play in front of some crappy crowds in the Big Ten tournament. You don't know what you're going to get. You get the early game of an NCAA tournament regional somewhere and uh, in in Utah or whatever, you don't know what's going to be there. You've got to find a way. This team hasn't yet clicked that thing. I know they've been right there. It's not like they're that far off. They're not getting blown out on the road every time, but they still haven't found a way to, to put together a 40-minute game on the road, again, to use another cliche. But ultimately, that's what they're going to have to do to, to, to have the kind of season they want. So what you're saying is they need to play defense basketball wise like the Bears play defense on Sunday. I know that, that would be a presence. That, <laughs> that would be a presence, yes. <laughs> and again, no. And actually, I'm not even saying that because the Bears are one of, I mean, the Bears are arguably the best defense in the NFL right now, or one of them. The very, very small percentage. The, the Purdue doesn't need to be that good. They need to be just. They just need to be above average. They need to, to have to. They need to stop having so many games where they come out of it talking about defensive breakdowns and defensive lapses. They need, they need to come out of more games saying, having opponents say what Maryland said about their second half the other night, about how they, they just, you know, when Gary, when, uh, sorry to say Gary Williams, Mark Turgeon said um, it felt like there was a sixth guy out there for Purdue. Um, that's what you need to have more opponents say. It, it's not really about... It's just about being more disruptive and having that be more of a presence than it's been through uh, 10 games now. Well, I mean, it's going to have to happen at some point, or the season's not going to happen. Yeah. Because they do, I mean, I, I guess the, the question is which which team can they be quicker, the defensive team or the offensive team? I really think it's the defensive team. I think you've already got Nojal Eastern, who is... Um, 
you know, a, a known commodity now as far as what he can do defensively to teams. You've got uh, Matt Harms, who legitimately can or should be a, a legitimate rim protector back there at the back of the defense. Um, you know, but someone like Ryan Klein by now should be more consistent with how he plays defense. I think he'd be the first to admit that. Uh, someone like Carson Edwards should be more consistent with the way he's playing defense. I think at times when this team is, it, not to use a painterism, but but these things are connected. And when this team is, is having trouble offensively, I really do think it's hurting them at the other end of the floor. And they've got to find a way to be just mentally tougher about that. Because there's going to be games like, there's going to be games where you're, those shots don't fall. Um, and, you know, Carson Edwards has already had some of those games. Ryan Klein has had some of those games. And they still have to be reliable defensively um, or again I mean, we can start to do the math I mean even if they went out the rest of these non-conference games and now you're nine and four it's going to be tough to win 11 of 19 or 11 of 18 games in the Big Ten going forward from that to get you to 20 in the regular season like that it, the math starts to become hard as far as making the path to um, you know NCAA tournament qualification uh, easy you can't afford a whole lot more stumbles and right now this team still there still seems to be enough volatility here that you can't assume that there won't be some of those stumbles. By the way, Notre Dame's not bad. Belmont, who's coming here in a little while, is not bad. Even Ohio, it's not like they're, you know, a, a bottom feeder in, in college basketball. They're they're going to be um, a competent opponent. And you know, we've I think I've seen Purdue teams lose to teams as bad or worse than that at Mackey Arena before. Um, and I've only been covering the team for five years, so. Uh, recent history would tell you that, that that's they're still vulnerable in games like that with a team like this, and they have to to defense be more consistent defensively will start to take some of that volatility out. Well, yeah, because you you do need a a stabilizing effect there with right. this team. It appears that they 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 need something to to lean on and and consider a strength. I mean, it, it sounds like right now they don't really truly have a strength. They've got some pieces that are doing okay, but they need right. strength. It's something that they can lean on late in the game, similar to what, what happened uh, against Maryland. And I don't even know if you can call Carson Edwards a strength necessarily, and not because he's not – I don't even need to say it. I mean, it's on. It's there in the box where it's there on video. Like what he did Sunday is, is impressive, and, and he can take over a game like that at times. But you can't – just assume he's going to hit 15 to 26 from the field every week and only turn the ball over one time. That is an outlier performance, even for someone as talented as him. And uh, other teams are going to be able to take that away more. And even when they don't, sometimes the shots don't fall like they did against Maryland, like they have against other games. I mean, it, it comes down to just look at the Maryland game. I mean, he goes 4 of 15 from the field. Ryan Klein goes 0 of 6 from 3. And they still win against a ranked team, partially because, yeah, it helps to be at home, but mostly because their defense stepped up and, and was the presence. And until that happens more consistently, I think they're gonna they're still gonna be on the wrong side of, of too many of these games. Well, it'll be interesting what happens Saturday uh, against Notre Dame in the in the crossroads, which you know the event this this event's a, a great event for the state of Indiana, where you bring together Notre Dame, Indiana, Purdue, and, and Butler, and I believe it's another sellout uh, this year, even though only one of the teams. Um, only have one ranked team in this field, but I don't think that matters to the people no. people of Indiana, the state of Indiana. Uh, it's 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 really become, in my opinion, one of the the marquee events uh, on the college basketball calendar. I know it is for the state of Indiana, but also I think uh, at least in the Midwest, and maybe it does touch some people nationally. 
because uh, you're, you're bringing four, I think, recognizable uh, programs together in one spot, and uh, you know it, it's a it's a big deal. I mean, obviously, it has a lot more buzz when teams teams are ranked or have better records. But uh, again, this is uh, this is a nice showcase for for the state coming up Saturday. Yeah, and it has a national presence anyway. I mean, this this Purdue Notre Dame game is going to be on CBS. I mean, these these are. You know, you you are getting in front of a national audience with with an event like this, and I think you know, yes, only one of these teams is ranked, and it, and it's number twenty five. Indiana is tied for twenty fifth with two other teams, so it's just barely getting a ranked team into this. But at the time, people would have been buying their tickets. You could have made a plausible case for maybe all four of these teams to be you know possible top twenty five teams. So, um, and and I think it it's. For the three of these teams, it's a no brainer great event. I know that IU fans have some grumbles about certain aspects of it and whether it'd be better for them to have a, some rotating non-conference game that weekend or, or something. I don't know. But I know that for, for Purdue, for Notre Dame, for, for Butler, I think it's it's a no-brainer great event because you, you know you're going to face a really solid team every single year. You know that you're going to get a quality, neutral court, rivalry kind of game every single year and and, and the, the those aren't easy to schedule anymore i mean you've got so many other tie-ins with your conference with your exempt tournaments we saw what with, with purdue going down to texas um it was kind of a big deal because you it's, it's really hard to fit these kinds of home and homes onto the schedule anymore and um i, I think it's been a good event for purdue other than the fact that they for a long stretch <laughs> couldn't win games there now they've, they've started to do they've started to be able to win games there and and i think um but I, but i also think that that this Notre Dame game is going to be a challenge for them. You know, this is a, a Notre Dame team that has had its own ups and downs this year. Um, just went to um, UCLA last week and had a, um, a buzzer-beating loss. But, I mean, you know, they lost at UCLA by three. They lost on a neutral court to Oklahoma by five. And then they had a weird home loss to Radford. But guess what? So did Texas, who Texas just beat Purdue. So um, I, I think this is a team that's going to challenge Purdue Defensively, as we were just talking about, um, it's a team that doesn't turn the ball over much. It's a team that um, is going to be pretty, pretty solid on the offensive side and is going to make Purdue try to come out and, and be that kind of disruptive force that it hasn't consistently been able to be so far. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the theme of this season for Purdue is every game is going to be a challenge for them. This is, you know, maybe the Ohio game won't be as big of a challenge. Uh, once you know, once it, it happens next week, it sounds like the Belmont game will be. But then every Big Ten game is going to be a challenge for Purdue, and that's just the type of season I think that fans are in store for. If yeah, if they haven't figured that out already, uh, you know, it's just a matter of how how quickly this team can can improve in some certain areas. Um, you know, they they still have a ways to go defensively, but as you've mentioned, they've got probably more more strides to make offensively and trying to figure out who can really help them uh, score throughout the game, but also in, in, in some crunch time situations. The offensive thing for Purdue still is just, not to go back too much on this, what we've already talked about, but it's still just such a conundrum to me that you don't want Carson Edwards to dominate the offense too much. You want him to be a facilitator. You want everybody to be involved. But you still just—he's still so talented compared to a lot of. He can go get his shot in a way that hardly anybody else on that team can. I don't know how you find and and Matt Painter has kind of been juggling that now for three years. Is what is what is the right fit for that? And and 
they're still in the process of finding that because it all kind of starts over again this year because he had finally kind of, I thought, found his 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 stride with that group last year. And then now the whole thing turns over this year with a whole new cast. So, um, but anyway, getting back to Notre Dame, getting back to this event. Um, yeah, I know that, I know that Purdue has, has sort of, for whatever reason, had its issues. But I think uh, some of that has been they've had issues at Banker's Life overall too it hasn't necessarily been even when it was a big 10 tournament it hasn't been a, a venue that they've necessarily succeeded in that much i do i do remember it was just a a couple years ago they had a huge halftime deficit against notre dame and came back and, and stormed back and won uh, but i think this is a big game saturday because if you lose this and you fall to six and five and you still haven't really won a game of consequence away from home now you're going into the big 10 season with that sort of hanging around your neck like you just you you've had the whole half of the year now and you haven't been able to go into anywhere other than Mackey arena and, and beat a, a really quality team. Um, and that just sort of just hang as a specter again, considering just the quality of the, the gauntlet that they're going to have to run in the big 10 this year. And if, even if you look on paper, they don't go to Rutgers. I think they do go to Illinois. Um, those are the only sub 100 Kimpom teams on this list, but there's talent on those teams. You know, Purdue saw that last year when it went to Rutgers, um, it's it's had tough games against teams like that before, and, and uh, they can't take anything for granted again, just because the, the the volatility that is is that the, the volatility that is Purdue basketball right now. Well, we look forward to your coverage and your commentary <laughs> from uh, JCOnline.com. Baker's Life Fieldhouse on uh, on Saturday is uh, Indiana will play Butler in the second game uh, down there. I uh, did want to touch on uh, football a little bit. They they've uh, started their bowl practices if you want to call them that, uh, last week they practiced twice. Um, the biggest thing that came out of those two practices, uh, Jeff Brown put the, the the younger guys through a live scrimmage, you know, live tackling and hitting and uh, just to give those give those guys a chance to try to get some, some game action. So if they are required to play in the bowl game, then they'll have an idea as far as game speed and and things like that so that that's helpful I think he you know I think he might do that a little bit more this week uh, at the end of practice where he'll get those guys together and do it again but it sounds like he, he wants to do it more in the spring as well he, he, he feels like he hasn't done it as much as he wanted to uh, his first year here um, and then I, I feel like he wanted to do it a little bit more this fall he did it during the bye week uh, but now that you have some extra practices here, I think he's just trying to get everybody up to speed as much as possible, and um, and he's not neglecting the rest of the team. It's just you you want guys to be fresh and mm-hmm. as healthy as they possible to coming into this bowl game uh, in a, in a couple of weeks. There's going to be some some personnel switches that we've already heard about, right? And yeah. do you think how how many of these are just temporary to fill what they need for this bowl game, and how many of them might hint at roles that some guys are going to have more long term with this team well with lorenzo neal being out you, you you're going to have you're going to see a lot of switches on the defensive line yeah i think anthony watts now moves to his his spot more of a nose guard um as opposed to just a, a defensive tackle and then you're, you're taking um one of your defensive ends giovanni rivera and moving him into watts's position as a, as a defensive tackle and then you're going to have Derek barnes uh, playing the Leo position probably more in this single game than he has throughout the year. He's he's gone back and forth, uh, maybe in some third down situations uh, where he hasn't 
played it every down. It, it sounds like he's going to be playing this Leo position um, full-time this game. Now, does that lead him to being a full-time Leo next year? I think with Giovanni Rivera, I think this this was a move that probably was going to happen either in the spring or next fall, probably this spring, because you are bringing in a guy like George Karloftis who can, who they believe can, can play that in position right now. Whether, you know, we still have to get through practice and see if he's able to hold up there. But I, I do think they long-term projection with Giovanni Rivera is see him as an inside guy. He's got to put on some more weight. He's up to, he told me the other day, he's at 270. He'd like to probably get to 275 before the bowl game. And then he's going to have to get up to probably 280, 285, maybe 290 uh, by the time next fall rolls around. And they'll have a plan for that. But he, he has a big he has a big frame. Uh, he should be able to, to play with that kind of weight and, and be effective. And that gives you a, a pretty big body uh, inside. So, you know, Lorenzo's injury has really um, impacted what, what they can do. Now, you, you're taking him off the field, which I think is a big deal because he's, he's just kind of a, a guy that plugs up a bunch of gaps. Yes. And uh, I don't know if they have that kind of uh, plugger, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it backing, backing, backing them up right now. Uh, but well, I also think just what you lose from a veteran presence, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, take away some of the dumb things he did earlier in the year. But in general, I want the guy whose brain is used to to, to being out there and, and knows that that veteran savvy. I think it has a value. And, I and think over take, the last two months he was playing as, as well as anybody on that defense. Right. Uh, along with Jake Thieneman and, uh, and Marcus Bailey. I think those three guys that you would expect, they're the middle of your defense. Uh, and they they were playing as well when they were out on the field together as well as well as they played all year. You're probably going to get Jacob Thieneman back for the game, but you know it's kind of a plus minus where you you get him back, but you, you're losing Lorenzo. But you're going to have guys that have played. They just haven't maybe played that position for for a long time. And I'm also curious to see if they do put some freshmen in there for this for this game. Uh, a guy like Lawrence Johnson, who's from Fort Wayne, uh, big big defensive tackle, weighs over 300 pounds. Um, they keep talking like you know he he might get in. Um, I just don't know if they've if if that's going to be feasible. I mean, they're going to have to rotate some guys in there, and they they've rotated throughout the year with uh, you know Ray Ray Ellis um, and uh, Alex Criddle, two guys that have seen some snaps. But I, I just I don't know if they're going to truly uh, put a freshman in there uh, in this yeah. kind of game. I mean, it depends on the game, and you may need him to if you have another injury or somebody's just not uh, playing effectively. Uh, but, yeah, you're, you're going to see a different look with the, with the defensive line, and I would expect to see um, – I wouldn't be surprised if you see more three-man fronts because you're just you're using three guys that you're, you're comfortable with, they have more experience, and then – Maybe you're you're plugging in some other guys with at some different positions, where you know I, I think Nick Holt's going to come up with some some uh, some different alignments for for this bowl game based on uh, the injury situations. And they've been I think pretty flexible with that in their two years here. They'll they'll move things around as needed based on the 
personnel that they have available at that moment. And I think that's it's one of the reasons they've been good. And I, I would yeah, I would agree with you. I would expect to see that probably again in, in Nashville. Um, we're getting a little late, but before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Jim Delaney earlier this, or I guess last week, came out and said, um, you know, it, it's, it's a hot-button topic in this conference a little bit, the, the, the balance between the divisions in football, East and West. Uh, probably more of a hot-button for teams on the, in the East that are tired of getting beat up on a little bit. Um, how did you interpret what he said, and how realistic do you think it is that we're going to just maybe blow this up and go back to no divisions or, or have some sort of realignment that fixes this perception of, of imbalance between the divisions? Well, ultimately the goal of a conference championship game is have the two best teams in the, in the conference play for the championship. The way the divisions are set up, that's not going to happen in the Big Ten. And, and I would say that you know, maybe the, you know, the SEC, it's not there every year. Maybe this year it probably was with Alabama and Georgia. Um, and it was that way in the Big 12 this year with probably Oklahoma and, 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 and Texas. But it's not, it doesn't happen every year. So that is the ultimate goal of, your, of a conference championship game, number one. Um, the, the idea of this happening, I don't think is very strong. I, this is something that I was told that they, it, it's brought up probably once a year in the, the Big 10 AD president's meetings where it's just kind of discussed. Um, and you know, and for the teams or the coaches that are complaining about it from the east, it doesn't change anything for them. You still have to, you still have to right. jump over the same teams. Right. It, it does, you know, it does hurt a program like Purdue and everybody in the west. If you do go to one division, uh, it makes uh, to me it makes the job less attractive than what it is right now. Um, and if if the Big Ten was one division, would Jeff Brom still? First of all, would he have come to Purdue, and would he have stayed? Right. And so, I mean, there's, it does have a ripple effect if you if you go to that. Um, but it's just something that happens. I think it's just an annual discussion that, I, you know, I don't know, you know, what prompted Delaney to say that. Whether he was asked about it. I mean, you do. There, there's there is an imbalance there from programs, and uh, I don't. You know, that's that's no secret. Um, but I, I just don't know if that's the you know how, and how do you schedule that how do you how do you protect the rivalries you can easily protect the rivalries you need to protect but what's the rotation like of who plays whom and when they play and how many times they're going to play and um i think there's a just a lot more i think in the other key factor too i mean this year probably your two best teams are michigan and ohio state in the big 10. do you want them playing in back-to-back -back weeks I don't. I don't think so. I don't think the conference wants that. Right. And it could be a situation every year where whoever wins the regular season meeting, then the loser knocks the winner out of the out of the playoff discussion. So you're <laughs> you 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 could be doing yourself a disservice from from a playoff. And, and I think part of the motivation of all this is the Big Ten hasn't had a team in the playoff in the last couple of years, maybe three years. So how do you how do you get a Big Ten team back into that conversation? Well, you have to have, first of all you got you have to have a team that's worthy of being in there, um, and I you know and I think the committee probably got it right this year. I, I don't I don't know if Ohio State really was worthy of being in the top four. Um, now I would like I like to see Ohio State play Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. um, you know I'm not 
I'm not sure Notre Dame, other than they won every game, but they didn't have to play in a conference championship game. Right. I, I'm not sure Notre Dame is one of the best four teams uh, in, in the in the in the country. But they, based on the criteria that that we're using, they, yeah. they get to they get to be in it. And plus, they're Notre Dame. We're we're way too long into the recording time here to get me on my uh, high horse about the the fallacy of the the Purdue or the uh, the college football playoff format. Um, which I think is ridiculous. I hate it. But, um, or at least I would like to see it larger. I, I think they could go beyond four teams pretty easily if you just got the right money in front of the right people. It's just like expansion. Just wait till the next TV contract and it'll it, happen. Right. It's just, well, and it, again, it's, it's just about who, making sure that the right person gets paid. That's what it's all about. Right. But again, we're, we've been going too long to get into that. What I did want to say is, I wonder, some of this, I think, though, is based on when these divisions are split up, and you could still say in the West, well, at least you've still got Wisconsin, which is a like borderline national presence at the time. You still got Nebraska, which is like a historic presence, and you'd still have Iowa, which would rise up every few years and have one of those ten win kind of seasons. Well, when everybody at the same time is kind of falling back to the pack a little bit, and and then Northwestern, no offense to them, but that's who kind of rises up and and takes the a team that didn't win a non-conference game steps up and 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 is your representative from the West. I think that, in addition to what was already thought of as kind of imbalance, probably sort of punctuated that for some people. We're like, okay, well, this is kind of this is patently really off kilter now. But what I think will eventually happen is you'll see somebody from the West rise up and have a whether it's Purdue in the short term, I think they're a team that thinks they can be in that conversation pretty soon with Rondo Moore and the class they have coming in and Jeff Brom. Um, whether it's a, a rebound from Wisconsin or Nebraska, I don't know. But, but I think somebody can eventually step up and, and have that kind of season. It's just a matter of whether or not it can happen consistently to start to kind of balance out this, what, what is still seen as more of a I still think it's more of a perception problem than it is an, an actual problem, but I guess it's easy for me to say that since I don't coach Rutgers or Indiana or Maryland. Well, anytime you have a non-traditional power, like a Northwestern, win a division, it's perceived as down. Right. And, and that, that, that's across all sports. You can, you can trickle that into Major League Baseball when you have a, a team that nobody picked to win one of the divisions. All of a sudden, it's leading the division by 10 games. Well, there must be a down here for that for that division. Well, no, it's just part of the evolution process. If if uh, you know, once Nebraska gets its footing, which it appeared it did at the end of the year, and they they move up, then Minnesota, by the way, also <laughs> playing pretty well at the end of yeah, the year. Yeah. So you you it, it's it you, you're right. I mean, it's it, to me, it's a big perception game when you don't you know unless it's Ohio State playing Wisconsin or Ohio State playing. Nebraska or Michigan playing one of those two teams, it's going to be perceived as as down. If Purdue, if Purdue would ever win the West, it probably won't get credit for winning the West. If that makes sense, yeah. just because it's going to say, well, Wisconsin was down and Nebraska was had too many injuries and and stuff like that. Just like Northwestern really doesn't get credit for winning the West when they did everything that they had to do to win the West. Right. They. The non-conference games don't matter right. in the in the West calculation. So uh, you're always going to fight that until until a team like Purdue becomes uh, uh, or or Northwestern or whoever it is just becomes a consistent player every year right there, where you're you're representing the West 
three out of five years or four out of seven years or whatever it is. And, and you, you're, you're always going to fight that. It'd be, if, if Maryland ever won the East or, I can't believe I'd say this, Rutgers or Indiana would win the East, you'd, the immediate thought would be, Oh, what a down year for the East. What a down year for the East. Right. When Maryland could have the greatest team of all time and just blow through the East, but it'd still be a down year for the East. Maybe, but you would also, I mean, the thing about the East is you would have to have beaten multiple of those really good teams to have done that. You'd have to have some some combination of Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. You would have probably had to win three of those in order to win that division. Yeah, but you don't know the state of those teams. I mean, it's all based on programs. Right. It's all based on name recognition. You don't know the state of those teams. And all those programs have gone through lean years where they haven't qualified for a bowl game and they've had, you know, turmoil for, for whatever reason. It would be... It would be a, a shock if it all happened at, at once, but it's not it's not impossible. Um, so it, it's it, it just goes back to the perception part of it. I think you know Purdue's coming up, Northwestern is there, proven it can win the West. And I do think Wisconsin's coming down a little bit, and Nebraska is coming up. It, it all it, it all sort itself out. It it all be fun to follow, but this whole one division thing, I just don't see it has a lot of legs. Right now, I think other things would really have to happen for the Big Ten to to go to go to to just have one. I don't mean you would call it, I guess, a division. It's just have, that's what I'm saying. For, yeah, first teams. of all, yeah, first of all, it's no divisions. It's <laughs> yeah. not it's not the single class tournament in Indiana. There was no classes. It's I mean, but you don't want to say the no class tournament. That sounds like a bad Fed Albert joke. But um, it, is there anything that you see as a quick fix? That would you could do just one like if you were to just take two teams and flip them, take Ohio State and Minnesota and flip divisions, or take Michigan State and somebody else or Purdue and flip divisions. Do you think there is a fix out there that beyond really irking whatever team and fan base you're putting in the East would help balance this going forward and maybe cut this conversation out from from coming back? Well, I mean, if you if you start flipping teams and you can't call yourself East and West. Because that's what it's based on. It's based right on now, it is a perfect East and West. Right. There is no overlap. Then you, then you can't call yourself that. Then you can go back to being legends and leaders, uh, which they they tried to balance the the strength of the programs out that way. Uh, but I mean, if if you wanted to do that, uh, you, uh, an easy switch would be Michigan State and Purdue. Um, but, I think that makes more sense than Minnesota, frankly, just because you're taking a team that's already in the Eastern Time Zone and keeping them East. I think that right, but again, but that, you can't call yourself East and West at that point. You have to come up with some. You have to come up with the, you know, Archie Griffin division or the, the Drew Brees division or whatever. However, you're going to do it. It's not perfect, um, obviously, but, but again, you do that, and all of a sudden, uh, something else happens. Right. Where oh, then you got to flip these other teams. Right. Uh, I just. Then, yeah, exactly. then Mark D'Antoni retires and Purdue becomes really good, and then now, well, now who's mad? What happens if you know Mark D'Antonio retires? Purdue becomes Michigan State per se, right? Right, and then Michigan State becomes Purdue of the eight-year period after right. after Joe Tiller. So do you flip him back after five years? Oh, we made a mistake. I, I don't. Yeah, I just don't. I don't see. I mean, I, I, I see where people would make that case, but I just I, it creates more long-term problems in, in my mind. If, if you're truly going to be east and west, then be east and west. If you want to be north and south, 
be north and south. Right. I mean, just that's where the Ohio State Minnesota would come in. I think you could flip those two programs and have a team in the West now that would be almost assured of consistently, you would think, being really strong. Minnesota being more middle of the pack, and then that would balance that out. But I, I agree, then you're, you're definitely not calling it East and West anymore. You're going to have to change what it's called. But I, if I'm Ohio State, if I'm Michigan, if I'm Michigan State, although the gauntlet of playing in the East is very difficult, when you have that year where you, you win the East and you're in the conversation for the college football playoff right. and you win the Big Ten championship game, you have played a tough enough schedule where you feel comfortable going in to that four or future 18 playoff right. where, okay, you know, we, you know, the team that the team is battle tested and ready to go. And I, you know, I, and I think that's, that's, I think that's how some of those teams view that, or you, you know, you get in a position where under the current setup where you get in a new year six game and you don't, you're not going to feel overwhelmed at all. And I, you know, I think that's kind of part of being in the East where you go to the next step here, the next bowl game, and then you're not going to, you're probably not going to embarrass yourself because you've seen, you've seen probably the toughest competition that, that you can see up to that point. Well, at the risk of, of going into double overtime, we probably better uh, stop it there. But thanks to everyone for joining us again this week on Boilers Extra. Uh, I'm Nathan Baird at in Baird JC. He's Mike Carmen at Carmen underscore JC. Uh, follow us. Uh, fi- find our podcast any of the places it can be found: iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, SoundCloud. Um, subscribe, download, rate us. Let us hear from you. And we will be back here next week talking more Purdue sports. <laughs>